Well, good morning. How are you? Good. It's good to see you. It's, uh, it was a very kind introduction there by Chris. Uh, and uh, it's, I mean, we have a wonderful staff. We have a wonderful church. I love that I get to be a part of this church. Forget being on staff. I'm just glad that I get to come to this church. And then add to that, I actually get to be on the staff. It, it's wonderful. It's a really supportive, great team that we have here. Of course, my family, many of you will know uh, my family, my wife's family, are actually from out west. We're both from Alberta initially, and uh, our families are very supportive as well. In fact, when my wife was talking to her dad earlier this week, and she mentioned that I was going to be preaching this weekend, and he said to her, oh, hallelujah, whatever will get him to stop singing. (laughs) 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 It's really supportive. Thanks, Dad. That's uh, that's great. (laughs) But uh, like Chris said, this whole area of character and relationships is a big passion of mine. And uh, because I, I see it happening wrong in different situations, and when I see that, I, I desire to see God redeem that. Because he can, and he wants to, right? If he was able to buy us all back from hell, I'm pretty sure he can make us nicer. Huh? <laughs> I think so. So it's, it's because of this whole desire, that's, that's the heart behind where we're going today. And so if I, if I get a little intense at times and that you feel like I'm right up in your grill, then just know that this is, this is the heart behind it. I really desire to see uh, a body of believers here at Southland and then beyond that that are really growing in godly, godly character and have just amazing relationships. I think that's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like and can look like if it's surrendered to the Lord. So, having said all that, let me start off with a story. I knew a woman from years ago. It was very, she's a very fun person. She's very outgoing uh, and highly talented. Highly talented. She was an amazing leader. Just naturally, she was a leader. And so eventually, within her church, uh, her pastor saw this combination of abilities and personality and all this kind of stuff and thought, you know, we should, we should hire her. And so they did. They took her on staff. And I remember her talking to me and saying just how honored she felt to be a part of that staff to be a part of that, that organization in that kind of a way. It was an amazing blessing. She saw it as a huge privilege. And so she was very, very grateful for that. But what happened is as she took on more and more responsibility, she began to see things uh, that, that should maybe be improved on, things that could just be done a bit better, uh, adapted, what have you. And so she would take those things to the pastor that directly oversaw her. And the thing was, sometimes she would take those things to him, and, and he wouldn't always see eye to eye with those things. Uh, he would have a different perspective, wouldn't uh, necessarily agree, and that would be frustrating to her. But uh, she loved the church, loved the senior leadership, loved the people that she served with in ministry, loved the work itself. And so she just kept plugging along, even though this was kind of uh, irritating to her. What, and what happened is she just became increasingly 
discontent in her heart. She began to actually doubt her boss's ability to lead the ministry that she was involved in. It seemed to her that his judgment calls were often weak and slow, and in all honesty, having heard and observed a bit of that, I, I would have to agree with her. I think that that was an accurate assessment some of those times. Her boss actually lacked the courage to stand up to her sometimes, and the ministry itself actually began to really suffer. So her response to him was either to overpower him or to undermine him, or when neither of those would work, then there was just this sort of gnawing resentment that was growing. So eventually, her complaining heart and this negative attitude that she had, it began to leak, as it always does. It began to leak. It couldn't be contained, and it, so it leaked out into other areas of the ministry and outside of the ministry as well. And ultimately, what ended up happening is it earned her a meeting with the senior pastor. And so they sat down, and because of what had been happening in the ministry as a result of her negativity, she actually had earned herself a very stern rebuke, and uh, some of her areas of responsibility, most of her areas of responsibility, were actually stripped away from her entirely. Now, due to coinciding challenges in her marriage as well, where her husband actually shared a lot of the same flaws as her boss, as well as a host of other ones, the same attitude had grown there as well, and the marriage itself actually became in jeopardy of even surviving. And so what happened was she digressed to threats, to angry outbursts, and she surrounded herself with emotional walls. Her spiritual life nosedived, and the stress of all of this aggravated pre-existent health problems that she had, resulting in increases in medication, a near mental health diagnosis, and ultimately, she ended up having an accidental overdose and nearly dying. This with two young children hanging in the balance, and she wasn't even yet 30. So how does something like this happen? How do you have someone that is initially happy in their marriage, that feels honored to actually be in ministry in this kind of a role? How, how do you get from that to actually being with a marriage that's totally in shambles to being stripped away of ministry responsibility and actually being in a coma? How does that happen? Well, obviously, there's, there's not one single thing that you can all peg it on. There are other people that were involved in other circumstances, situations in the middle of it. But I'll tell you one thing that was a key piece for this woman. She had a complaining heart. And like a silent cancer, her complaining grew internally for a long time before it made it to her lips. It started killing her long before she landed up in a coma for three days. It started just as little judgments, small criticisms, and tiny seeds of unforgiveness that, once fed and sheltered, began to erode her character, 
began to destroy her family and eliminate her fruitfulness in ministry. There was no big moment of corruption where it all fell apart. It was an inch at a time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. You made each and every one of us. You stitch us together in our mother's wombs. You know the sum total of our experiences. You know who we are. And you see us more clearly than we can even see ourselves. And so we acknowledge that right now in humility. And we ask that you would lead us through this message. Would you speak, Holy Spirit? And in those areas where our hearts have this kind of stuff inside, where there's grumbling or complaining that's, that's living inside of us right now and being practiced, Jesus, by the gracious gentleness of your Holy Spirit, would you reveal that to us? Would you show that to us? Because ultimately, what we really, really want is to know you more and to love you more and to follow you wholeheartedly because that's what your word asks of us and that's what we desire. So would you speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. So I said this woman had a complaining heart and that is a really important key to understand. See, complaining, complaining doesn't start once you hear it here. Complaining starts here. It starts in the heart. Luke 6.45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So complaining, it incubates in our hearts, and then when we speak, it's like a communicable disease that can infect other people and kill them too. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a specific passage of Scripture out of Numbers 13 and 14, and we're going to look exactly along the lines of this whole topic of complaining. This is the story of the 12 spies that went to Canaan. How, how many of you grew up with this song? 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad, 2 were good, oh, what the sea when the spy on Canaan, 10 were bad. Yeah, I, I, I had to put it in somewhere because you're all going to think of it as soon as I say 12 spies went to spy on Canaan. That's a lot of spying. Okay, all right, let's start off. Numbers 13, verse 27. And the ten spies told Moses, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flowed with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They were carrying a, a huge cluster of grapes that actually took two men with a stick to carry. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Basically, what he's saying is, there's a lot of enemies here. There's a lot of bad guys. And we, I don't know that we can do this. But Caleb comes in, and Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the man who had gone up with, men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out, it is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. There's giants 
And then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. So these 12 men go to spy on Canaan. All 12 of these spies had the same tour of duty. They all had the same field assignment. They all saw remarkable fruit. They saw a land flowing with milk and honey. They all saw enemies. They all had a simultaneous experience, yet they come back with two very different perspectives. How does that happen? How how does it happen that you can have the exact same scenario but people coming out of it with two completely different perspectives. Well, I'll tell you what the two different groups saw. The ten spies were looking at themselves, and Caleb and Joshua were looking at God. This is where it all begins. This is the seed of a complaining heart and an effective beginning to killing your character. It all begins with me and with an inward focus. When I begin to look more and more at myself and my situation and my circumstances, then I either feel good because all of those things are good or I feel bad because those things are bad. It's all about me and about how I feel. So then when we're faced with a situation that seems bigger than we are, then we doubt ourselves and we doubt God to be able to actually pull us through it. The ten spies were looking at themselves when they looked at the land of Canaan and doubted God's ability to win. They saw the battle ahead, and it looked impossible based on resources, right? They looked at the promised land on what they felt they could or could not do based on their physical resources and capacities. They were inward focused, and therefore they doubted what God could and would do. And I mean... Isn't this just, in fact, our default setting as people to think about ourselves and to doubt everything that's beyond our skin? This came very naturally to the, ten, to the ten spies, and I'm telling you, it will come even more naturally to you and I because of the culture that we live in, because we live in a culture that is extremely self-absorbed and self-focused, and we have a belief within our culture that we, instead of submitting to the sovereign all-loving, good God who directs our paths, our culture has a belief in personal sovereignty and individual goodness. And so we think that we actually can figure out the direction of our own lives and that for sure we'll be really good at it because we're innately good. But the thing is, Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture has a different word for that, and it's called pride. So we see this with the ten spies. They were inwardly focused. They were focused on their own inability and doubting God's ability, and that's pride. Well, wait, 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 you say. But they were just looking at the circumstances. They saw that, in fact, the giant, there was giants in the land. It was, it was actually physically impossible for them to do. Like, that sounds like humility. No, it's not humility because the key is that they actually thought they knew better than God. And they suffered God's wrath as a result. Listen to this. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made the congregation grumble against him and bring up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report about the land died by plague before the Lord. 
Well, they certainly experienced the fruition of this verse from Proverbs 16:5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And Scripture also says in James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There it is. If our perspective is inward focused, then we will end up doubting God's either sovereignty and or his goodness. And because we then doubt the one who's really in control of the universe, that leaves a vacancy. And so what will we do? We will step into that vacancy because we trust ourselves, and that is pride. And if you are proud, then you will find God opposing you. And that is the perfect soil blend for the seed of complaint to take root. When this is our perspective, when this is our soil content, we will then become very frustrated because this is not actually how the world works. We're not actually harmonizing our lives with the reality of God being in complete and total control of the world, of our life, and of the lives of those that we love. And we will not reconcile our situation with the deep felt belief that the one who holds the world in his hands is entirely and always good, righteous, just, and loving. So when our worldview is misaligned with those truths, then it causes us some serious problems. Because when we're at the center of our universe, when things don't go as we desire, we then become angry and depressed and sad because we feel that we did everything right, but it didn't work out. We begin to complain quietly in our hearts about the injustice of our lives. Things just aren't panning out. We begin to complain inside about the boss that just won't give us the pay raise that we deserve or the hours that we deserve after we've been here for this many years. Or, spouses listen, you, you don't see your spouse getting that increase or the hours that they deserve because they've been there for that many years. Or how about the pastor that won't let you have the place in ministry that you know God has gifted you to and called you to? Or how about the family member that dies too young? Or the friend that lingers on in pain and suffering, even though death would have been welcomed long ago? In each of these situations, we can find ourselves beginning to complain in our hearts. We begin to believe at a deep, unspoken level that there is indeed not justice in the universe. We begin to believe that a truly good God would intervene and do something about this situation. And in that moment, in that moment, in nursing that feeling, because sometimes it's not even a thought, sometimes it's just a feeling. As we nurse that, we decide and we declare in our hearts that we know better than him. An inward focus has led to doubt in God, which has in turn led to pride. And we then begin the inch by inch, silent, cancerous death of inner complaint. Of course, 
Most of us would never say that we know better than God because we don't really believe that, right? I mean, that would be wrong. For sure, it'd be bad theology. (laughs) And it would probably even be sinful to believe or for sure say that. So, for now, anyway, we'll keep our complaint in our heart. But our doubt in God becomes evident in our actions. We do with God what we would do with anyone else we don't trust. We back away. And so we can actually look and we can actually evaluate our lives and see if we have complaint within our heart. Because what we do is we protect ourselves and we withdraw emotionally. So you may still show up, but you withdraw emotionally. We don't give our best or our most. We give the least amount possible to convince ourselves and everyone else that everything is okay. But we have moved our heart back. And that's what we see with the ten spies. They're indicators that we have complaint harbored in our heart. Indicators like withdrawal, disengagement, or minimal engagement with Christ and church. And those ten spies, they withdrew. That's what they did. They weren't going to put their neck out for God in this whole conquest of Canaan thing. They doubted his goodness. They doubted his sovereignty and being able to maintain, but they were able to maintain appearances. This is what we do as well, but complain in our hearts. We begin to act as they did, reasonably, right? None of this fanatical or extra stuff. So we'll still show up at church and we'll tithe, or at least we'll give, but Don't try to get me involved in another one of those cell groups. Not after the last one. Not after what happened there. We're not going to go to any of these retreats because I I already did all that kind of stuff in my previous church anyways. Or we're not going to serve because I just don't have time. I just don't have time. But in the middle of all that, there's something coursing deeper through And it's this complaining heart. And you can tell that if it's something that may be alive in you because right now you're getting irritated with me. And you feel like I'm pushing your buttons and I'm making you mad. But listen, I said at the beginning, my desire is to see people full of godly character and in amazing relationships within their families, within churches, so that we can actually achieve what the Lord wants us to do. So if you're getting irritated or unsettled with what I'm saying right now, I beg you, look at your heart. Don't just assume that I'm out to get you. Okay, our hearts are deceitful, especially, especially when they've been poisoned by pride. What I want to do is I want to sound the alarm on this issue because here's what happens when we withdraw from the Lord and from his people. We begin to wither. Cutting ourselves off from intimate relationship with the Lord through time spent and is in the Word and in prayer, combined with withdrawing from intimate relationships within the body of Christ by choosing to not participate and contribute, we just get farther and farther away from the Lord. And our character, our character begins to stall out and even to regress. And why is that? Because God opposes the proud. That's why. And when you're the only one that knows best, 
you are not going to find good company with God because he will be against you. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We must awaken in humility and in repentance to the sinister inward focus, the doubt and the pride that's in our hearts. Otherwise, what will happen is not only will our complaining heart destroy us, but it will also poison others. The more that we feel these things, the more that it just leaks out of us, like that woman I was telling you about at the beginning of the message. The more that we feel them, we just can't contain it. We can't keep this stuff inside of us. It just doesn't work. Look at the 10 spies again. After their negative report, look what happens to the entire community of Israel. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a leader. Let's go back to Egypt. I want you to notice something. How many, how many men went to Canaan? It's not rhetorical. Is anyone alive out there? Thank you. Hey, welcome back. Yes, 12 men went to Canaan. Now, how many people in this passage do we see in complete distress? Ten. Ten. No, no, more than 10. <laughs> All of them. We see the whole community, the whole congregation is in total upheaval. So we had 12 men that went to Canaan. 10 of them came back and brought a bad report about what they saw. And the attitudes and the words of 10 men poisoned the entire camp. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands of people were poisoned by the wrong perspective. Note it wasn't fact. It was not fact. It appeared to be fact, but was not. It was their perspective that then poisoned the entire camp. 10 men. 10 men. So let me ask you something. How many people have you poisoned by your words, by sharing your frustration, or venting about something or someone? Out of your interpretation of your experience, because that's what it was with the spies, it may seem crystal clear to you. It may seem like complete, explicit fact, what your experience has been. That may seem exactly like what it is. That's what it was for them. That's what it was for the spies. It was mathematically concrete, but their perspective was wrong. And why was their perspective wrong? Because they had an inward focus, and because they had an inward focus, then they began to doubt God, and then they moved into pride. And when they moved into pride, then they could call the shots, and what they saw was then fact. They had a wrong interpretation of their events. So how many people have you lowered in the eyes of others so that you can feel supported? Oh, don't we like to feel supported? Don't we like to accrue people to our position, to our side? Don't we love to look like the victim in a situation? Look at me. I was victimized by my evil boss or spouse or child or pastor. Feel my injustice with me. Feel bad for me and think poorly of them. And something in us, listen to me, something in us is somehow fed or comforted by that. 
That is sick. Listen to me. I am not judging you. I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at myself. I'm preaching to you from the same side of the pulpit that you're on because I have lived the exact same thing and I've been complaining and griping many, many times. But if we can look at our hearts and if we can see that we're somehow being comforted or soothed by someone else's negative opinion now of someone who hurt me, I think that should be a good indication for us that something's not quite right in here. So, I have no idea where I am. (laughs) But I'm very passionate about getting there. (laughs) All right, here we go. But this, this is the stuff that church splits are made of. People that are nice to your face but talk you down behind your back. Jeremiah 9, 8 says, Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With their mouths, they all speak cordially to their neighbors. But in their hearts, they've set traps for them. Here's another one. Psalm 62, 4. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Or how about James 3, 9 to 12? With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You know what this passage is saying? It's saying that if you come to church on a Sunday morning, And if you sing, head of the church, you are in control. Jesus, you are functional, Lord of all. Bowing to your throne, we surrender all. And then you go out for lunch with your friend in the middle of the week. And you now talk down and cut down your spouse or your boss or your pastor. You are out of line. That's what that passage is saying. That is pride. And you will find yourself with God opposing you. The ten spies corrupted the whole camp by their words, and they died for their sin. And if you just don't care that much about your own destiny or judgment, which would be a really poor strategy on your part, (laughs) but if for some reason you don't, then look at this. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness. So we're now talking about the entire adult population of Israel. And yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. Shall see the land that I swore to give their their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. So do you see what happened here? The ten spies, they were the ones who actually had an experience. They actually had experience with Canaan, they came back and they gave a bad report based on their inward focus. And because of their negative report, the entire camp went into upheaval, doubted the leadership of Moses and Aaron, doubted the leadership of the Lord and his ability to actually carry them through, and considered backtracking to Egypt. And because of their rebellion, they were not permitted to enter the promised land. Think about it. Think about it. God's entire purpose 
in actually rescuing them out of Egypt was to deliver them and take them to a place of wholeness and safety, a place of fruitfulness and joy to this promised land of Canaan. And because the community chose to take on the sour, negative attitude of 10 men, none of them were able to experience the richness and the abundance that God had planned for them. So now listen to me. How many people are you willing to keep out of the abundance God has for them because you want to vent? Yes, every person is going to have to be accountable for their own attitudes, their own actions. That's true. But will that be enough to soothe your soul when you meet Jesus face-to-face on Judgment Day and he makes you aware of the influence you had in corrupting other people? Will it soothe you then? So as we wrap things up, you may be asking me, what, race? So are we, are we never allowed to feel bad about anything? Like, are, are we never allowed to share the things within our hearts that hurt us or explore questions or concerns that we have? And the beautiful, amazing answer is yes. We just have to do it right. But before we learn how to do it right, the first thing that we have to do is we must earnestly confess and acknowledge and repent that we have done it wrong. And in our complaining hearts and our words that we have sinned, it's sin. Philippians 2, 13 to 15 says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. What we need to see is that we have actually dimmed the glory of the Lord within our lives, and we have actually darkened our testimonies by complaining. He has made himself available to work in us to give us both the power and the desire to do good and to not complain or argue, and we have chosen to forsake that. Instead of looking to him, we've been content to look to ourselves and in our inward focus, get caught up in complaining and gossip. We must repent. Then we can move forward on how to deal with the ongoing challenges and injustices of our day-to-day lives. Because they exist. I'm not up here to tell you that you should all be deluded, happy people that are really plastic. What's, uh, like that, there's no help there. We all experience pain within our lives. Some of you, I know, have experienced great pain recently. The point isn't to deny that. The point is what we do with that. So once we repent, we must engage with God for his perspective. Here's the application. The next time you feel that there's been an injustice done toward you or a decision is made that you disagree with or you don't understand, then the first thing you need to do is take it to prayer. You take it to the Lord. And as you do that, you can ask four things. First of all, where am I in the wrong or not just understanding correctly? Because often, I mean, we see something and and it it is concrete. It's really, really obvious, like it was for the 10 spies. But actually, we're wrong. It's actually us. Sometimes that is 
the truth. Secondly, how do you see this person or situation? How does the Lord see this person or situation? Let me tell you, this can be so helpful and this can save you a whole lot of pain. Uh, so there have, I, I oversee a lot of ministry here at the church and there have been times where there's been, say, a leader or someone serving in ministry that appears to just have like really bad character. All of a sudden they're making bad decisions and I just don't understand what they're doing or maybe it's a family member. And what I want to do, what's inside, is I want to just sit down and straighten them out. Come, let's sit down. I'll tell you everything you're doing wrong. That will help you. <laughs> right? So there's, there's times where I've wanted to do that. But the Lord has given me a check in my spirit, probably after many times of doing it wrong. Uh, but he's given me a check in my spirit to actually just pause the thing and go and pray. And so I've spent time with him. And I've gone and said, Lord, this, this looks really obvious to me. This seems crystal clear. And this is how I see this person. And this is how I see what's going on. But how do you see, like, am I on or am I off? Am I missing something? And there's been times where I've been ready to go guns blazing and the Lord has given me a window into that person's heart where they are actually deeply broken. And there's something heavy, heavy, heavy that they're carrying and they don't actually need the whip. They need someone with compassion to come alongside and actually be willing to help and maybe put in a little bit of relational work to help them walk through something. So that's something we need to do. We have to ask him how he sees people and how he sees situations. Thirdly, ask him how you can pray for that person or that situation. Again, this is something that the Lord's been growing me in in the last few years where there have been people that have been challenging within, within family or ministry and, uh, and I've gotten away with the Lord because I'm just exasperated. I don't know what to do. Like, because uh, I'm action-oriented. Like, I, I want to get in, and I want to just fix it. This is not hard. Just don't do what you're doing. Like, how hard is this? <laughs> it turns out sometimes it's very hard. <laughs> I should know. Like, uh, I've lived all this. <laughs> but times where then I, I've gotten alone with the Lord, and I've said, I don't know what to do here. Like, my efforts clearly are flawed because they're not working. So what do you want me to do? How can I actually pray for this person? And the Lord has then given me a picture or a word or a thought. He's given me uh, something that I can then sit on in prayer and then keep coming back to. And sometimes he won't let me go and talk to that person or confront that person, whatever it is. He'll just say, just be quiet, would you, please? And pray. And I'll tell you, my experience has been that that has grown my faith because we naturally think that we should be the one to be able to fix everybody. At least I do. Maybe none of you are like that. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes I have a bit of that complex. I think I should be able to go in and just fix everybody. Turns out, no. And when I actually get alone with the Lord and take the prayer strategy that he has and begin to pray that for people and then see them change without me actually doing it for them, well... Turns out God's God. I'm not God. <laughs> and it's grown my faith. That's the third thing. And then the fourth thing is, how should I act towards this person or in this situation? And it may be exactly like what I just shared. He may want you to just be quiet and pray. 
And some of you that are built a little more like me, what you want to do is solve people's problems, and you want to yuck, 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 yuck. Um, but it, it might be particularly you. He wants you to just and pray <laughs> because it's a lesson that we need to learn. So he may just want you to pray. He may then, after you have spent time praying, have you seek godly counsel. And let me tell you now what I mean by godly counsel. I don't mean peer. This isn't peer support. Okay, this is not the same people that you went to to complain about your husband and gripe and complain, okay? It's not, the, the, these are different people. This isn't your, your buddies at work that you gripe about your boss to. This, you're not, that, that's the same thing. That's still complaining, okay? This would be like a cell leader or a pastor or maybe a, a parent or a grandparent that you have seen have really solid, godly character over a period of many years, Okay, that's godly counsel. And so then you go to them. And maybe, maybe what the Lord shows you is after you've spent that time in prayer, and once you've sought godly counsel, that indeed it's time to step out and have a conversation. And then you know the beauty of it? He will show you how to have that conversation with that person where it respects their dignity and where his characteristics, where the fruit of the Spirit still flow through you to that person. Because you know what? He doesn't just want to redeem you. He actually wants to redeem everybody. And so you may actually be the very vessel through which he wants to do that. But it starts with prayer. I can tell you confidently one thing that God will never tell you to do, and that is to complain about someone or something to peers. Never. He'll never do it because it is not biblical. So don't look for him to tell you to do that. All right? We've cleared that up. So what it is is conversation with Jesus, with wise counsel, and with the other specific people involved in the situation. That is the path that God gives us so that we can have our questions or our concerns or our pain heard and acknowledged and soothed. And isn't that what we're looking for when we get into this complaining thing? We're actually looking to feel heard and acknowledged and soothed. And the Lord actually gives us a way. So here's a weekly challenge. First of all, evaluate your own life for the indicators of a complaining heart. So look for withdrawal, disengagement, or minimal engagement with Christ and church. Evaluate your words this week for complaint content. Write down each time you complain. It'll be an interesting practice. If you've got a smartphone, then you can just take out your notes section, write complaining at the top of that. And as you go through your week, see how it stacks up. Sometimes we just, we don't actually realize how much we do things. But if we want his help, he'll help us. And then, of course, as he shows you those things, then you can swiftly and immediately repent and ask him to help you, turn to prayer, and then walk through those steps in prayer that we just talked about. Now, as I close, I, I want to encourage you with something. I want to tell you something. If, if you know that you are inward focused, if you know that you're negative, and if you've got a history of complaining, I have really, really good news for you. You can change. This is not who you are. You may be tempted to believe that this is just your personality or because of the sum total of your life experiences, this is who you are. But that is... That is solely what Satan would love you to believe so that you stay outside of the promised land looking in. You remember that 
woman that I talked with you about at the beginning of the message, the one that worked in the church, was eventually stripped of her role, fraught with marriage problems, almost died of an overdose. Well, she changed. That near-death experience was a bit of a wake-up call. She started to see that some of her perspectives were actually off-base. She started to realize that maybe some of the other voices in her life had actually been speaking truth that she had just refused to hear. She entered into a process that took her years to walk out. She began to submit to leadership within her church. She sought out counseling to deal with childhood issues contributing towards her anger. She began to slowly but surely enter into a deeper relationship with Jesus to heal her brokenness and began the long road of dealing with her stuff. While she would acknowledge that she still has a road ahead and more growth to accomplish, she's been restored to ministry. And I'm pleased to say that she's volunteering now, again, within her church. She sings in the choir and with the worship team sometimes. And she's actually a cell leader for other women who have spouses in ministry and has a huge heart to see them avoid the very pitfalls that she walked headlong into herself. She and her husband, who had his own list of issues to deal with and address, would say that their marriage is better than they ever imagined it could be and a source of delight and refreshing to them both. She is now on the winning side of James 4, 6. Remember, he gives grace. He gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is now giving her more and more grace because she is growing in humility compared to the opposition that she faced when she was full of pride. She would tell you that the marriage she longed for and the satisfaction in ministry that she pined for back then, she is now finally enjoying, but she had to take the low road to get there. You want to know why I know her story so well? Because this was at our church. And I was the pastor who oversaw this woman years ago, and we've walked this road together because she is also my wife. I've seen the power of God at work in a woman who has chosen over a period of years many small decisions over a period of years to pursue healing and growth in order that she might move away from having a complaining heart like one of the ten spies to having a faith filled heart like Caleb and Joshua. And you know what? They alone got to enter the promised land. And isn't that what you want? Don't you want that? Don't you want to walk into the promised land that the Lord has prepared for you? Because let me tell you, you were made to look up and find your place in the universe as a child of God, as a servant of the local church, as a spouse who exists in mutual submission to the other one. So let's stop our complaining, let's start praying, and let's have the healthiest character and relationships this nation has ever seen so that we can be a light to those who are coming behind us, both our children and the churches that we are modeling for. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, you are good in all that you do all the time. You are 100% sovereign and in control. You've never lost a grip of that at any point, including every situation that's represented in this room right now. You are sovereign and all-powerful, and you are always loving 
and good. You always have been. You always will be. So, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would change our hearts. The places where we're inward focused, where we're not looking at you, but we're looking at ourselves and the way that our situation stacks up against our mere feeble efforts. Would you help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and turn them towards you so that we can conquer because of who you are and not be defeated because of who we are? Lord Jesus, again, by your spirit, would you reveal and bring conviction where it's needed? Would you bring encouragement where it's needed? We want to become more like you, that those who come behind us would be able to follow in a path that we've lit up because you've done it in us. In Jesus' name, amen.